Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the Common Good Podcast. It's a Friday, May 13th. And today we're going to show you an interview that I conducted yesterday with Elizabeth Kiefer Krauss. Elizabeth has been a guest on this uh, live streaming podcast before. Elizabeth tells about her own experience with having to have two abortions, abortions that saved her life and were heartbreaking and heart-wrenching. And we feel like these conversations are extremely helpful and important because they put a face and they put a real story behind the politics. We talk about this a bit in the interview that you hear a lot of people say, well, we should have an exception for the life of the mother, but sometimes people say that as if that's kind of just a hypothetical. Well, it's not a hypothetical and it certainly wasn't for Elizabeth. She shares her story. She wants to share these stories publicly. She wants you to share this this story. So if you will share it, we would really appreciate it. She wants to get the word out. And I think you're going to feel very drawn in by her not only personal story, but how she broadens that out to an understanding of what it means to the other 26,000 women who've had to have some kind of emergency abortive procedure to save their own lives. It's dramatic and it's heart-wrenching stories. And for someone like Elizabeth to grant to us the gift of being able to hear that story as she tells it. Here's the interview we have with her and she'd be glad for you to reach out to her. So please do. And thanks for being a part of the Common Good Podcast. And here's a conversation with Elizabeth. Hey friend, um, you know, it was a year and a half ago, I think that we um, talked about the role that abortion plays in our society and how we were looking at it and um, you told your own story on a couple of our conversations here and it was very powerful and it's meant a lot to a lot of people so thanks for sharing that and now we're a week past this leaked document from the Supreme Court indicating that they're going to not only limit some rights to abortion but are going to overturn Roe versus Wade in its entirety if what they've leaked is actually what the ruling ends up being which means that you're going to have a different rules and laws and um, ways that people can or cannot access abortion all over the country. And Elizabeth, I'm just really interested in how you're thinking about that. Um, you know, as we were talking just a moment ago, you were saying it has great implications for you thinking about your own your own past. And so mm-hmm. how, how, how are you doing with it? What, what, are you, what are you thinking about? I think it's important for women to understand that currently, right now, today, abortion is still legal in the United States, which means if they need care, they can still get it. And I think that there that is important for people to realize. This ruling has not been officially made. And so I think there is a population of women who thought it had been and kind of panicked. Yeah. And so I think it's important to understand that currently where we are, abortion is still legal and accessible to people who need them. That's premise number one. I think the other important premise that we need to go in understanding is that For the pro-choice community, especially someone like me, who is a person of faith um, and pro-choice at the same time, the question here is not really a question of when does life begin? That is a big question that nobody has answered adequately, um, that varying religious traditions view very differently, um, that current medical precedent doesn't really support the notion of life beginning, you know, at the first sign of a heartbeat, et cetera. 
the so the question for people like me, someone who's pro-choice and a person of faith, is not a question of when does life begin. I can't answer that. No community can answer that in a consistent way that is verifiable and proven and, and data-driven. The question then becomes, what do we believe is a person's obligation mm. with their body? In mm. other words, currently, if somebody is in need of a kidney that happens to match my kidney type, I cannot be legally compelled to give my kidney away. I cannot be compelled to give my body to another person without my consent. I have to knowingly and willingly consent to any medical procedure that requires me to use my body to support anybody else. That is the question for me. It is, I don't know that we can ever adequately answer mm. when does life begin. There are too many perspectives there. The Jewish tradition has long argued that life begins at breath, the first mm -hmm. breath taken. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're never going to get there. We're never going to agree on that. So we have to, I think, put that question aside, which I don't know that we can put that question aside, but yeah. I think we need to in some senses um, and really tackle what is the actual question. Can we as people be compelled to use our bodies as life support for others without our consent? Hmm. I think that's a really slippery slope. Um, I don't think that anybody should be compelled to use their bodies for medical purposes without their consent and without the knowing conversation between that person mm. and that person's doctor. It's nobody else's decision how my body is used. And you're saying that when a person has to continue a pregnancy and the argument is you're continuing the pregnancy for the benefit of the fetus that that starts to cross a line for you that says, hey, you're actually, even if you want to claim some sort of personhood to the fetus, which, by the way, very few people do, uh, almost few almost people no do. one. It's There's an understanding of the difference between embryos and fetuses and, and human beings. But you're saying that for someone to put that obligation on you, that that's not something you can do without the person's consent and that if abortion's not legal and it's not legal for the purposes that have been stated it's essentially that is that is that what what you're what you're saying yep i think that that i think that is the in my mind the legal question the precedent that we're setting is can we compel people to use their bodies for medical reasons without their consent i think that's a slippery slope I don't think that that is, though, the ethical question that we face when mm. we talk about abortion and we talk about access to abortion and abortion rights, abortion as health care. Mm. For me, in my situation, and I, I, you know, I told my story before, so I won't reiterate well, well, the Yeah, but it would be good for people who yeah. maybe haven't listened yeah. to that interview yet to know a bit of your own story. Yeah. Because when some people hear abortion as health care, that for them is a big distinction between abortion as health care and abortion as, abortion as birth control. Correct. And so many states that are going to have trigger laws or are going to put in place laws that restrict abortion will restrict it, even in situations that would have affected you and your own your own well-being. So I think your story would be really helpful yeah. to remind people. Yeah. So I have been pregnant four times in my life. Two of those pregnancies um, ended with the need for a medically required late-term abortion. And the story behind that essentially is 
you know, my sons, um, my twin boys had something called twin to twin transfusion syndrome. They were very, all three of them were very wanted babies. I was married. I was a professional at teaching at a university. I was a Christian. I paid my taxes. I was for all intents and purposes, a good productive member of society who did not who had access to contraceptives and birth control. So I I found myself past 20 weeks with both pregnancies, um, excited to be a mom, excited to have my babies when I found out that there were really significant complications. Um, and in both scenarios, those complications slid downhill very, very quickly. And I was, um, in both cases, put into a situation where I could choose my life to continue living or I could choose to try and save babies who would not have had the physical capabilities to survive outside my body. Um, And as a person of faith who had long identified as a pro-life Christian, it is not the scenario I thought I would ever be in. Wow. It's not a scenario I wanted to be in. Um, I really wrestled with the morality of that decision and ultimately in both cases came to believe um, believe for my sons what I believed for myself, which was I had long you know, felt you know, if something happened to me and I required life support just to keep my heart beating, that that was not a life I wanted for myself and that my loved ones, I would want mm-hmm. them to just let me go. Mm-hmm. So in both situations with my sons, I really did find myself in a position of needing to apply the ethic mm-hmm. that I applied to myself to my sons, which was that if there was no way for me to survive beyond needing something like life support, um, that I would, I would rather be let go with dignity and just want to pass. Um, and for me, knowing that neither of my three boys could survive without the life support of my body, because pregnancy is that it is one person's body and life sustaining the life of an embryo, fetus, etc. And I knew they couldn't survive without that. We had definitive, te- you know, extensive testing done, definitive answers on what their situation was. I didn't want to apply a different ethic to them than I applied to myself. And so to me, the best, the best of the very hard choices was to do an induction abortion late into my pregnancy and to let them go. I wrestled before and after about the morality of that decision and in the end concluded, especially as a person of faith, that God understands how scary it is to be us and that we can recognize and believe that God created life as wonderful and precious in this world and also recognize that we live in a world that is broken and that um, we live in bodies that are broken and we live in systems that we have created in our own image that make pregnancy and birth an impossible choice for so many people. I think we can hold both as being true. That was true for me. For me, abortion was healthcare, um, especially the second time that it happened to me because of the way that my health had deteriorated so quickly 
um, because of an infection that was not responding to antibiotics or any other intervention. It came down to the fact that had I needed to flee the state to go somewhere else Mm -hmm. for abortion care, I would not have lived long enough to get there. I lived in the Seattle area at the time. I would not have made it to Canada. I would not have made it to Oregon. I would not have made it to Idaho. Not that Idaho would ever have um, helped me, but... Um, but that's a really good point that people so often say, well, as people can travel to other states, that's been a caveat that um, mm-hmm. people have been um, leaning on or have been offering to one another. And you're making this important point that oftentimes when it's a medical condition, there's not that kind of time. And yeah. um, how, how much time did you have to, to make a decision um, and to, to, yeah. have to have have a procedure that would have terminated the pregnancy? Yeah, with my twins, I had a few days. I had some time with them. Um, for them, that decision really came down to n- neither twin, neither twin had their even their full or their full organs. Mm-hmm. They would not have lived outside my body, um, and it became emergent the longer I waited. Um, but I had a few days to sort of make that decision with them. With my son Malcolm, I had um, a matter of maybe an hour or two uh, because I was hemorrhaging. And, um, it was a, you know, I had great competent medical care and my, you know, my doctor looked at me and said, this choice is yours to make. All I can do is tell you the outcomes. You can go home, but you won't make it back to the hospital in time, uh, to save your own life. And so I had a, I had a pretty fast decision. Wow. What, what do you know about the laws in other States where there's trigger laws yeah. or, um, laws that existed before Roe v. Wade that will come into play. Mm -hmm. Do you know if people who are in conditions like yours uh, are in state, that there's people in states who have conditions like yours for whom Mm -hmm. the doctor will have to say, we don't have the option to terminate this this pregnancy? Yeah, Mississippi is a good example. Mississippi has a trigger law that will go into effect that leaves no provision at all. No, there is a a complete abortion ban, which means, and there's no exception for rape, incest, or life of the mother. It is just a flat ban across the, mm. all across the board. Uh, we also know about Mississippi that it has one of the, the most struggling economies. Um, it is largely pop- populated by black and brown people who have been dealing and working within a legal system that is completely working against them mm. and their their quality of life and their access to basic freedoms, basic health care, basic living wage, child care, et cetera. Um, Mississippi is one of the lowest ranked for education, lowest ranked for health care access. And now if they implement a complete abortion ban, what we will see in a state like Mississippi is we will see black and brown women die in mass. They will die. They will just die because nobody will be legally allowed to help them. Many of them do not have the resources to get somewhere else. Um, And in a situation like mine, if you don't have quick resources and quick travel and quick all these things, you will just just bleed to death or you will try to take matters into your own hands. There's a large kind of joke about hangers in back alleys. That's not a joke. That happened. Women got desperate Mm -hmm. and afraid and they tried to do abortions themselves. This, this ban will not, uh, it will just outlaw abortion. It will not eliminate them. The people 
you know, wealthy people will still have access to safe abortion care, but the rest of us will not. And women like me who needed those services and protections in order to save our lives, my motive was not nefarious. Um, My motive was to do the best I can in a really hard situation and to um, outlaw abortion services would have, would have ended my life, would have left my daughter uh, motherless. Um, But beyond that, we have to recognize that, that if this goes through, so do other, other laws. What about access to contraception and um, birth control and, and those kinds of services, those are not far behind this ruling. Um, And I think that what we will see is a snowball effect, um, especially in states like Mississippi. Other states do keep provisions for rape and incest. I don't know how any woman would prove that. Uh, We know women, all people, don't report sexual assault very often. And I need to kind of correct my own language. There are a lot of people who birth. So to limit it to just a women's sure. issue is not fair or accurate. Yep. Yep. So Pe- I want to correct my People language. give birth who don't identify as, as women. Yeah. I, that's, that's, a, that's an Non-binary important thing to, to, to remember. Yeah. But I think we, I just, all this to say, all these trigger laws, and I think more states will join um, those kinds of situations. All of these trigger laws that go into effect, the ultimate result of those laws in states like Mississippi and states where they tried to leave a provision of some sorts, um, most of which I think is pandering. I don't think it's actually practical. Um, I think what we will see is people die. Yeah. In fact, I know that's what we'll see. It's not speculation. That's what happened before. Do, do you happen um, to know, yeah. like like in Mississippi, and I guess we should talk to somebody from Mississippi, but maybe you know this, <laughs> they have very currently you know, while abortion is still recognized as a constitutional, constitutionally protected right, which is just to note that we live in such a peculiar time where we're going to go from a moment where people have a constitutional right. And then at some point, the Supreme Court will say, you do not have that right. You used to have it. And now you don't. The the fact that the Supreme Court's going to allow that to happen is something that's going to have deep, deep ramifications through our, through our legal system. And uh, for a long, long time. But currently, people have the right to an abortion. But abortion is very limited in yeah. a place like Mississippi. There's, I don't know, a, a handful, if not less, abortion clinics. So the numbers mm-hmm. are already very low. But if someone there in Mississippi has a condition like yours and they go to the hospital and they uh, have to have, a, you know, their, their life is in jeopardy if they don't terminate this pregnancy. In Mississippi currently, do are there doctors and so on at regular hospitals who can perform those procedures who don't perform the other kinds of abortions? So even though abortion access is down, if it's life of the mother issues, are they available and are they are they currently yeah. doing that? Do, do you know how that works? Yeah. In fact, I think one of the scary implications here is what do we do with women who have miscarriages? Because if a woman goes into the emergency room right now and is bleeding, there is no heartbeat, mm. but her body, for whatever reason, is not ending the pregnancy, even if the viability of the fetus is zero. In other words, there is no heartbeat that fetus has passed already. But if her body is not passing that fetus, then they call still, that is still legally an abortion. So what are we going to do with women who go into the emergency room with viable medical emergencies? I am having a miscarriage at whatever rate. 
you know, or whatever time within their pregnancy. And um, and that happens in emergency rooms across the country all the time. And there are medications that can help a woman to pass. There are procedures like the Mm. DNC procedure, which can help the tissue to pass to keep her alive and safe. Um, If those procedures become outlawed, Mm. women, even women who were not seeking abortions in sort of the way we think about it, um, as as um, as ending a viable pregnancy, which not all pregnancies are viable, mm-hmm. but let's for argument's sake, those people will die too. Those people won't be able to get care. Those people for people who have ectopic pregnancies, what do we do with that? So currently, right now, there is healthcare that keeps those people alive and surviving really, really difficult situations that they did not choose. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And if there's already discussion about, you know, about what will happen. Uh, we don't know how those laws will be written. I think in places like Texas, um, where the governor seems very bent on uh, punitive laws, um, places like Mississippi, I think what will happen is they will pass flat pandering laws that pander to pro-life voters. Um, and then people will start to die. I think doctors who, who, prescribe those medications, who perform those procedures like a DNC, um, could they face criminal charges? Could the woman face a criminal or the person face a criminal charge? Those are all questions that are that we all thought would never happen, but are now likely scenarios in certain yeah. states. And that's really scary. And I think you're bringing up a really important piece of all this, which you know, people mention when they say, what about situations where a person became pregnant against their desires or were sexually assaulted and the life of the mother. And and just to be frank, a lot of people, in my opinion, they say that, you know, what do we do about the life of the mother? But they really don't think about it. I think they basically say, you're talking about some obscure situation that that's not what this is about. Let's just be, you know, let's, let's be clear here. I've heard pro-life people talk, but let's be clear. That's that's not what any of this is really about. This exception of, you know, women not being able to give birth because their own life is in jeopardy. I mean, come on, that kind of attitude. But you're someone for whom not only did that, was that your circumstance on one occasion, it was your circumstance on two. And there are many people who have started to share their stories about this, about how how impactful it is. But in addition to that, this important point that you're raising is abortion bans are not just going to say a person can no longer access something they used to be able to access. It also means in some states that doctors no longer have a medical option available to them. Correct. And that is Correct. a and and that that's part of this long conversation. You did such a great job the last time we talked and if people want to watch that video they can find it in our playlist but describing what was going on in New York and why there would mm-hmm. had to be exceptions made in the law to allow women to terminate pregnancies that then gets recast and retold as, oh, these people want someone to be able to terminate a pregnancy right up to the, to the point of birth. Right. And Which so it's, it's been very that confusing. Yes, that's right. right. That, yeah. There are not laws that allow that now. That's right. I live in, I live in Washington state. Washington state is notoriously blue. Um, and we, our state and our governor has done a really wonderful job of, of 
protecting a person's right to choose what happens to their body. But even in Washington state past 24 weeks, there are significant legal hoops to jump through if you need to end your pregnancy. Now, recognize nobody is staying pregnant that long and then just willy-nilly deciding, oh, I don't want to do this. If someone has chosen to stay pregnant that long, that is a um, fetus, potential child that they wanted to have, and the need to end a pregnancy late into the pregnancy is always for medical necessity. And we already have legal hoops to jump through past 24 weeks. There's a perception that, oh man, a, a person could end their pregnancy at 40 weeks. No, they can't. <laughs> right. That's not that's not happening. It's not legal now. Um, and and really deciphering between the propaganda that's out there and what is really true has become increasingly more mm-hmm. difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I think it's important for people like me to say, look, the, here's what actually happens in these scenarios. Uh, I was treated with dignity. I was treated with respect. I was given much space to make the decision that was right for me. I did not have pushy medical providers just itching to perform an abortion. Like um, my doctor cried with me and we sobbed over the way that this had gone. This was not what anybody wanted. Um, But I am so thankful that I lived in an America and in a state that did not determine my medical care. My medical care was not determined by politicians in Washington, D.C. My medical care was decided by me and my doctor. And I am endlessly grateful to be alive today to be able to tell my story. I think we are on the brink of a future where that will not be the case for so many birthing people. And I do not believe that that honors God. I do not believe it honors the life that we believe God created. And I do not believe it has anything to do with the notion of abortion being murder. If we lived in a country where that mattered, really at our core, we would not be putting more resources into our military and war than we do into K-12 education, early childhood education, affordable health care, et cetera, combined. Right. Gun we laws. don't have right. That's right. Yeah. I, I have a bit of hope still in all this, right? I, I, I think there's a possibility still. I mean, until the Supreme Court issues their ruling, there's mm-hmm. a possibility that some of the justices are negotiating a walk back from where this draft ruling sat. So there is still a possibility Mm -hmm. that some kind of language can be inserted that gives protection when a woman's life or a birthing person's life is in jeopardy, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's uh, a different, so there's, I don't know, there's a possibility that something could happen. And if that doesn't happen, I think a lot of these states that have written trigger laws of total bans on abortion, they wrote those in the set of conditions in which Roe versus Wade was the settled law of the land and was going to stay that way, in my view. they yeah. And now it's not. I think they're going to relook at those laws and there's going yeah. to be amendments to those laws because the reality of how you basically virtue signal with the kinds of firm stance about abortion when that's not going to be ever be the law is one kind of yeah. draft uh, you know legislation you write when it is oh as of you know August 1st 2022 that becomes the law of this state that's under a whole other level of scrutiny 
So I hope that your story, stories of the many people like you who have experienced this, become that be, uh, become part of this conversation, because it doesn't yeah. make any sense that someone would say under any set of conditions, even extreme pro-life people that I know have said, yeah. of course, if a woman is going to die, you have to do something or both the, the fetus baby are going to die and the woman's going to die. It's just, you're just going to have more non-life. Now, I know there yeah. are some who say you should just run the risk, let, let God have at it, all the rest, sort of non-interventionist totally. But that is, I don't know, do you have any hope that people in these states that have written laws while the conditions were such that they never thought they would be in place and they were communicative of a different storyline that they're going to moderate those? Do you, I mean, I know you don't know anything. You're a, you're a professor, yeah. but you're not a law professor and you're certainly not, you know, a Georgia and a Mississippi and a Louisiana and a Texas, uh, Arizona, yeah. Michigan law professor. Do you have a sense? Boy, I, I did not think we would live to see the day Roe got over. Right, right. I really didn't didn't anticipate that. Um, I knew it was a risk. I think anyone who didn't know it was a risk probably wasn't paying attention. So I think all of us who speak, publish, write in this space sort of knew it was always the end goal, right? The end goal was to, um, for these polit political operatives, was to overturn Roe. I'm not sure I imagined it happening. So that sort of notion sort of shakes all hope I have because I, I didn't see really know that we'd get here. What I do hope for, and I'm holding kind of onto hope despite, despite maybe the evidence, is that, um, that there will be an outcry from the people, enough so to sway the, these laws enough so to provide amendments, but look, let, let's let's also be honest. My situation is rare. There's probably about twenty six thousand women a year in my situation in the United States. There's probably more um, if we count all the women who have miscarriages and need to go into the emergency room. We're talking millions and millions and millions of birthing people every year who need that, but. Situations like mine are more rare. They're not absent. There are thousands of women, tens of thousands of women and people in my situation. But the vast majority of people who seek abortion care do so not necessarily for life of the mother situations, mm -hmm. but because we have created a system that has made it impossible for them to birth their baby and care for their baby. Um, and in my mind, for this to be overturned with no provision for health care, child care, adoption. Let's, let's not pretend that adoption is a viable alternative to abortion. It's not. Most, abortion, most adoptions cost 40-some-odd thousand dollars. And there are few families who have those resources to do it. So we can't pretend that it's a viable option. Our foster system is not a viable alternative to abortion. So what we have created is a system that makes it impossible for people to have babies safely and in healthy environments. And then we're going to force them to do it anyways. And in my mind, what I hope happens is that the accountability that these politicians um, are faced with is just that, that you have created a system that forces people to give birth into a world that cares nothing for that baby post birth. Mm. 
I think the unborn are a really convenient group to um, advocate for because the only person who has to take responsibility for that unborn life is the pregnant person. After that person, after that baby is born, there are no or very limited resources mm-hmm. to make that mm-hmm. life possible. And so do I think that they will add amendments to these laws? I certainly hope so. I don't think that they will in some states. I think some states will and other states really won't. I don't know that I have a lot of hope for Texas or Mississippi, for example. But um, what I do believe will come around is the accountability from birthing people and from communities that begin to say, you know, our foster system is overrun. There's no resources. We don't have people to adopt all these babies. There are no resources. Um, People are dying in back alleys. There's no affordable health care. I believe that doctors will likely, you know, if it becomes illegal for them to participate in this kind of health care, I think that there will be doctors who do it anyways out of a moral and ethical obligation to save that person's life. Mm -hmm. And Um, You know, I have good friends and family who are in the medical profession and who are saying we're we're ready. We're ready to do it anyway. Yeah, Um, I I think you're onto something. I think I think even in Texas, like, look, when Mm -hmm. if women and I don't know what the trigger laws are in Texas. Do you know? Does it does it not give an exception to the life of mother? I believe I believe that it's an exception. I do not think that. And I, again, I'm not sure, so I'm yeah. probably speaking out of turn. I do think that there are a few exceptions within Texas, but um, you know that election this term for a new governor is really important down there. Yeah, I really, really matters, and the pressure mm-hmm. that's going to be put by you know the Baylor hospital system and by the Methodist hospital system in, yeah. in Texas, when doctors are saying, you know, we've had three thousand women that we could have saved their lives a year ago and we lost them because of this law, that is going to become a political issue that is untenable. When you have laws that just seem to be in such opposition to the healthcare system and the, the general general welfare, it's going to become a, a pretty significant issue. And I think it's going to... So I'm just going to pronosticate for a moment here about what I think is going to happen. I think, you know, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was famous for having said she wishes that abortion ruling from the Supreme Court had not been the Roe versus Wade case, but other cases. Mm -hmm. There were a number of them on the docket when Roe versus Wade came to the Supreme Court. And because of the nature of Roe versus Wade, the ruling was structured in such a way as to deal with the privacy clause and and the 14th Amendment. And she said, there, there, but there are others that it could have been argued. And, and because law, cases have to be argued based on the facts of the case. It's one, it's one of the real problems with our system, you know, that like we mm-hmm. use the Supreme Court's ruling for these blanket implications, but they have to be written so narrowly to address the particular legal yeah. situation. So there were other, other cases that could have come before the Supreme Court that would have been ruled on differently. I think that's going to continue to happen as well. I think in the way that there have been the pro-life movement has just litigated for 40 years trying to get cases to the Supreme Court, there's going to be a series of cases that are coming. And one of them will be, is it is it a liberty clause that a woman living on one side of a state boundary will die 
and a woman on another side of that state boundary will live with the same conditions. That will start to become a federal issue. So I think there's some really, you know, Interesting things. Now, yeah. I, I I don't know where we are in the conversation yet in our society. Frankly, if you can start talking about stuff like this, right? There's a it's yeah. a it's a there's a grieving period that we all need that people need to go through. Um, like, when is it too soon to say, hey, maybe the Supreme Court will rule differently, or maybe states will moderate, yeah. or maybe other cases will come? But as you're saying so eloquently. Th- the specifics of these medical cases and the specifics of the pain on the system when you start to put thousands of more children into society. Um, you know, the, the pro-life movement has been yelling literally at people, including me and maybe at you, uh, when you're out yeah. in public and you're talking about politics in this world and so on, and they're, they'll yell, what about the babies, right? And that's code language for you're wanting to harm babies, which is just a terribly inappropriate yeah thing for people to say about someone's view yeah. of of abortion. But now we really do ask, have to ask the question, what about the babies? So, okay, every yeah. state that now, you know, wants to protect life, what about the babies? Or is mm-hmm. there prenatal work? Is there postnatal mm-hmm. work? Is there... Um, mm-hmm. uh, are there programs that, that can be helpful? What Do, do we have mm-hmm. some obligation to one another in a different way. And uh, maybe ultimately this can move us to something that, you know, doesn't remedy the situation that that a constitutional interpretation and right has been taken. But maybe something good could come from from all of this in these states where people actually have to work to now Mm -hmm. consider some things that they didn't consider before. Yeah. I tend to think not because there's been a lot of babies born, you know, that that they just could look away from. So it'll probably get pretty easy to just wash, rinse, and repeat on not caring about these kids as well. But maybe it it shifts the balance of the question uh, Mm -hmm. to uh, asking what what do we do to support these families, which would be a really great thing for us to do, even if, you know, uh, rights are returned to women to be able to make the choice of their own continuing pregnancy. I think that even if, if Roe is overturned, I don't think that that's the end. I don't think that is the end. Um, I do believe that all of these laws within the trigger, these, you know, these trigger laws within states will be challenged all the way back up to the Supreme Court. And just like you're saying on different um, kind of different premises and asking different questions. So could it be that Roe is overturned? I think I do think that that's likely. Do I think that that will be the end of of abortion? Certainly not. Do I think it's the end of legal abortion? I don't think so. I do think that that decision could be made again, like you're saying, on a different case under a different premise. The question for me becomes how many people have to die in the process yeah. and how many um, how many babies will be born into terrible situations um, how, that that our system simply does not want to sustain. It's not that it can't. We could do better. We just don't. Um, and I think that that is is pretty is going to be really telling. I don't think that the overturning of Roe will be the end of it. I think it will be just the beginning of challenge after challenge after challenge. The question being, how long will that take, and how many people will die in the process? I'm not sure. I I do think that it's so important for us to center the conversation just like you do so well on what is the common good for as many people as possible. And I am 
really, you know, hmm. I am saddened by where we are in this process. I'm not surprised. I'm saddened. I'm grieved. I am worried about what will happen to people like me. I think that people, I think all birthing people should be very aware of what's coming enough to have the wisdom to say, do I need to get my birth control managed now before that comes into question? Do I need to make some decisions about my body now while I can before that comes into question? I don't think it would be alarmist to say, if you're thinking about birth control, now's the time to go have that conversation with your doctor and get that managed for yourself before that becomes more difficult. So, you know, I have three daughters and I wonder very much about the world that we are creating for them and how safe it will be. I don't think it's the end of legal abortion in this country. I do think that that could be decided on a different case. I just don't know how long that will take and what the collateral damage will be in the process. So so well said. Well, Elizabeth, thank you for sharing your story. It is so helpful to literally and metaphorically put a face on people who have to deal with these issues. And when someone says, well, what about the life of a mother? There are many people who have faced this, and they don't always talk about it as publicly as you do. And it's a real gift yeah. that, that you're willing to so that people feel and know someone for whom that's been the case. And um, yeah. thanks thanks for uh, being part of all this conversation that we want to have around here on a regular basis and for being willing yeah, to share. Thanks for answer. having the conversation. It's really refreshing as a birthing person to see men involve themselves because they mm. are largely absent from the conversation. We aren't talking about, hey, if, if life begins at conception, does does child support, life insurance, all of those questions come into play. And so it's really refreshing to see men begin to involve themselves in something that does impact them, but that they have largely been absent from. So thank you. Well, that, that is, thank you. Uh, that, that is a very interesting point that I haven't heard anyone else mention, that if there becomes a legal standard that now in a state that this is now determined as a viable life, then does paternity begin at conception? And is a person financially responsible for the well-being of that child financially mm -hmm. before before birth? Yeah. Have you heard anyone else talk about that? Do you know if that's a thing that's in the in the parlance? Um, is that are people raising? I mean, that? we're all asking it. Yeah. We're all asking that question. If the mother or the birthing person is responsible to maintain that life and pregnancy, does you know can they should they establish paternity and should child support? Sh start right then because that's what we're requiring of of the you know the birthing person should the you know should the father be responsible as well um i don't the reality is that the same politicians who are pushing for the overturning of roe are the same ones who continuously fail to hold men accountable for anything um so i don't have any hope that that will start or that that will get any traction politically, but could it get traction within the court system? Could a birthing person say, look, you're forcing me to do this and then sue for child support to begin as well? And could that go up the chain? I think that that's likely. I hope it does. Yeah. That's going to make us ask some really, really hard questions. And I think, you know, could a birthing person, if it's confirmed that that person is pregnant, could they take out a life insurance policy on that fetus? And if something happens, collect I don't know. Like, we're just going to kind of see what happens. Yeah. But again, the problem here is that the discussion has turned from when does life begin to actually, that's not ever the, that has never been the question. The question has been, can we compel people to use their bodies to save 
the life or potential life of another without their consent. That's a really slippery slope. Um, and I'm not sure as a country, we are ready to go there. Yeah. And the fact that five justices who were courted and curated and selected simply for a view that is out of the norm from other, for other judges and from the general population about that question are the ones who've made this determination to say, well, that question, that you, those questions that you've raised there, they have legal implications. So let's put that on the 50 states and the territories and the District of Columbia yeah. to figure that out. Let's, let's, yeah. not, let's not give guidance or suggest somehow that there's something inherent in yeah. what it means to be a citizen of the country and let it simply ride on the decisions made by state legislators or by mm -hmm. courts in, in, at the state level. That yeah. idea that you just pass the buck on that, um, like I know a lot of pro-life people have argued about the way Roe versus Wade was argued and put together. And even very people who support Roe feel that way. They feel like yeah. it didn't adequately address the issues that needed to be addressed. It could yeah. have gone a different way. But now the question is going to be, does this have any legitimacy at all that these are the people that are trying to make this decision? It's, um, yes, it's for sure a complex theological, complex moral, complex uh, human experience. But that doesn't mean that it's better people. for a bunch of state legislators to figure it out. I mean, right, I love state right. legislators. I, I have two, two or three of them myself, you know, uh, as, a, as a citizen of a state. That's not what they're doing. They're, they're not trying to, they can't, to, the idea that states, it's just better for states to figure this out. It's just such yeah. madness in its own right yeah. that I can't even, I, I don't understand how such serious people as these justices yeah. would say on such a deep contentious issue, that's what we're going to do and then have disparity all over, I mean, mm -hmm. The degree to which you want there to be states' experiments with with the United States, the idea that we're going to let this be different, um, state by state, uh, is j just just makes just makes no sense to, to my it's mind. Also, very telling that there is a female justice who is supposedly voting to overturn Roe, and it's telling to me that she was not the one chosen to write the opinion. It's a man chosen, a man who cannot yeah. birth, would not birth. Can, this has no impact on this person ever. Um, it's very telling to me that it was not assigned to the only justice who could and has given birth. Um, it was assigned to um, a man who this issue would never impact at all. Um, I don't think that that's a mistake. I think that that is a pretty direct choice. Mm. Um, and so I'm, you know, again, once these opinions are written, they're circulated, the wording has changed. So I, you know, the pessimist part of me wonders what sort of language would be or could be inserted to protect any paternal, you know, paternal figure from liability or involvement at all. I am curious about that and, and worried about that, but we will see if it's left to the state. The next thing that will happen is I think is a big series of lawsuits against those state laws. Yes. And I think they'll head right back up. So until then we have to really protect, I think our conversations, I think we have to, this is a, a painful topic for people like me. It's a scary topic for birthing people. It's scary, really scary for transgender, the transgender community, the non-binary community. Um, and I think we are going to have to be very in, intentional 
in the way we converse with each other, hmm. that we converse with each other with dignity and respect for the person, even if we don't have respect for the view uh, that they have. Wow. Um, I I am having to speak slowly so as not to dehumanize those who believe differently from me. That is the only approach I have found that brings anyone to the table for a conversation is to recognize you have beliefs that are important to you and they're important to you for really good reasons, moral, ethical reasons. Um, So let's talk about how those play out because I think we probably agree on the premise of the question. We just aren't sure how to get there. We disagree on how to get there. And so the best thing we can do right now is we got to fight like hell. We got to speak up. We have to be vehement and clear in what we believe and why we believe it. We have to keep the argument centered on what the argument actually is. And we have to be very intentional in our language so as not to dehumanize those who believe differently. They they may believe what they believe for just as personal reasons as I believe mm-hmm. what I believe. Um, and I don't think any progress is made in a screaming match. I do think progress is made around the table that says, hey, let's come with all this complexity and let's see where we land. Um, Because most of the time when I tell my story and people go, yeah, but I'm not talking about you. Yeah. And I say, but you are. And here's why they go. It's kind of the back up and go, crap, why now? I don't know what to do. Right. And that's fair. I don't either. Let's, we could agree on that. I don't know how we move this needle forward with dignity for life, with the you know, the desire to make birth as possible and safe and wonderful for any person who chooses to be pregnant. I want to do that. I want to tackle the reasons that abortions are needed in the first place, and I want to recognize that in situations like mine, there's no way to fix all of them. So until then, let's work to make abortion safe, legal, and rare in all contexts and create really work to create the world that makes it possible for more babies to be born healthy, happy, safe, and well cared for. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we'll talk soon. Okay, sounds good. Bye. Bye.